Baruch Adonai Merach Le'olam Today on Shtetl on the Shortwave, we're going to be speaking with Joshua Nelson, the Prince of Kosher Gospel, and with Zev Moses, the creator of the Interactive Museum of Jewish Montreal. Lots of great music and history today on the show. If you want to listen to this or past episodes of Shtetl on the Shortwave, you can go to iTunes or to shtetlmontreal.com. Welcome to Shtetl on the Shortwave. I'm your host, Tamara Kramer, and today we're going to be exploring what kosher gospel is with Joshua Nelson. We're going to be speaking with him from uh, New Jersey, where his congregation is, and he's going to tell us a little bit about the history of kosher gospel and his own personal history. Also, on the second half of the show, we're going to speak with Zev Moses. He is the creator of the Interactive Museum of Jewish Montreal, and uh, it's a really, really interesting project, and he's going to tell us about the glory days of cantorial music here in the city, in the old Jewish neighborhoods, in my land and in the plateau, and also stay tuned to find out about who exactly Maurice Tugan Cohen is. He's going to tell us about that as well. And there's so much going on in the city and in the world these days, but a little bit closer to the home, I think the big news is really Idle No More and what's happening here with that activist movement. And uh, since our show two weeks ago with Winona LaDuke, we've got so much response. And if you want to read a bit more about that in Shtetl magazine, you can read an interview with Rabbi Shachar Orenstein, who is the rabbi at the Spanish and Portuguese synagogue here in Montreal. And he talks about uh, how the Idle No More movement resonates with Jewish text and, and what he thinks Jewish leaders and the Jewish community should be doing in response to the movement. So you can check that out. The article is Thou Shalt Not Stand Idly By, and it's at shtetlmontreal.com in the magazine. So in a few minutes, we're going to talk with Joshua Nelson, the Prince of Kosher Gospel. But before we do, I wanted to uh, take a listen to a little bit more of his music. And this is a personal favorite song of mine that he does in his, uh, in his style. It's called Eli Eli.
החול. והים to Shtetl on the Shortwave. That was Eli Eli by Joshua Nelson, the Prince of Kosher Gospel. And we're going to be talking to him in New Jersey today. And Joshua Nelson is going to be performing here in Montreal next weekend on January 26th at Dorche Emmet Synagogue. And you can go on the Shtetl website, shtetlmontreal.com, for more information and for a link to buy tickets to the show. And I think that it promises to be a really, really amazing performance. And I feel really privileged and excited that we're getting to speak live with Joshua Nelson today on Shtetl. So Joshua, welcome to the show. Uh, thank you. Shalom. Shalom. <laughs> How are you doing today? I'm doing very well. I'm very happy that you had me on the show and to, to get the word out about the concert and the, also the style of music that I'm doing. Well, maybe we can start with that and you can tell people a little bit about kosher gospel. What is it and, and how did you come up with that style of music? Oh, okay. Kosher gospel music is just Jewish music with, with, with what we call a African soul or ethnic soul element. Uh, it's like when, you, when you're Orthodox Jew, I was raised Orthodox, and we would go to a bar mitzvah or something, and they would have shrimp. It wasn't really shrimp. It looked like shrimp, but it was really 
fish. And, you know, in the world of Judaism, sometimes we, it, we have things that look like certain things but aren't, really. And so kosher gospel music, it sounds exactly like uh, the counterpart of gospel music, uh, maybe the Christian sound, but it's it's Jewish. Um, it's all the lyrics are Hebrew and about Jewish life, but the the music has a, a ethnic African uh, sound, and we call it kosher gospel uh, because it's it's really flavored and layered like gospel music, but it's Jewish. Okay, and so you've been influenced by some of the great gospel singers, and everybody speaks about your connection with Mahalia Jackson. I'm curious to hear about. Maybe one of the musicians that you've met or performed with in your life who really made the biggest impression on you? Oh, well, it, it would have to be Edward Robinson. Edward Robinson, he was Mahalia's p- pianist for 17 years. And I'm going to be taking him with me to Sweden just a couple of days after the Montreal concert. We're going to be doing a tribute to her. And they, they really impact me, uh, the music style. It was, to me, uh, for instance, uh, in Europe, even in the shtetls, there was this chazanut that you would get with the, with the chazan. It's not as, as so planned and articulate the way it is now in some of the synagogues. But back in those days, uh, the cantors, they sang with their soul. You know, they would do this uh, the, the wailing with the, with the voice. And, and, you know, I guess the, the worst of the times, the, the more pressure that you have, I guess the best sound comes out. Hmm. And African-Americans, the same thing in the 50s and 60s. Some of the best music came out of the African-American community. And it's not ironic that it was during the civil rights movement where, where uh, you know, it wasn't such a great time uh, for African-Americans in, in America struggling for uh, human rights and civil rights. So that we're, I'm bringing to this present era a feeling of that hazanut. I also do Kazanut, you know, from the shtetl, um, and I combine it with that sound from the 60s and 50s, and, you know, about like Mahalia Jackson. The gospel singers today don't sing the way she used to. It was just a different method, a different style. Okay. And so that's what I'm going to be bringing to Montreal. Very, uh, it's an anachronistic style, you know, from a period. Um, but I kind of live, I mean, I drive a 1965 car. Everything I do is antique. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I guess I'm an I'm a old spirit in a young body. Um, well, I want to ask you about that. I had read somewhere where you talked about your identity as a, an African-American Jew and how it's only in North America where you have to justify to people and explain to them that, that you're Jewish. And well, if you're in a place like Israel, it's sort of normal. There's Ethiopian Jews, Yemenite Jews. Right. But but in, in America, it's not like that. And I was wondering if you'd be willing to share with us some of the reactions you've gotten from people when you tell them that, that you're Jewish. Uh, Reactions have been across the board. If you can put on the left zero negative and on the right uh, positive as a as a scale, I've gotten all types of responses. And how affected me had to do also with my own security as a African American Jew. When I was living in Israel, of course, it was like unheard of. It was such a uh, understood thing. I mean, the, the idea that there were Jews from all over the world, but in America where uh, European uh, jewelry has a, you know, it's understood in American culture. Um, it stands out. Uh, you don't really hear much of the Yemenites. 
um, even Israeli culture is different than just being Jewish. It's it, there are different facets of of uh, Jewish living, and there are lots of Jews in America from all persuasion. By this music, it's also educating Americans that Judaism is not as one-sided as maybe the media uh, does. I, I tell you the worst thing that ha- I have to deal with, lots of times I headline programs, and when the newscast comes, they purposely go by me. What do you mean? They, because they, they expect the, the people on television to see what they think a Jew is. So we get caught in this this circle that never ends. Um, mm-hmm. So I have to make a point of saying, "Hey, baby," I get I get in that Mahalia Jackson voice. I say, "Hey, baby, uh, I'm the star of this program over here," <laughs> 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 and then they'll come over and they'll interview me. But usually, these are non-Jewish telecast people, so they have no idea. They're looking for a guy with payas and you know a black coat and black hat, and you know, they're not really, they don't really know. And also, usually the promoters are not very in tune with what's going on. I'm usually very in tune with it because I had to live with the skin color all my life. <laughs> so, um, but it's, it's an awakening. It's teaching people that Judaism is much bigger than thought before. Speaking about racism, uh, you made a comment that I think is pretty funny that you are the Ku Klux Klan's worst nightmare, a black Jew. Yes. <laughs> I- And I just wanted to know if you feel like ever in your life that you have been afraid or affected by racism or anti-Semitism? One time, uh, you know, I was in Israel one time where this one time I was very afraid. There were some uh, Palestinians who had uh, stolen a car in the area and I was living on a kibbutz. And so I was walking back from the kibbutz with a hoodie on, and they thought maybe I was one of the Arab guys because, you know, my skin is a little dark. <laughs> and um, he, he says, And I said in my best perfect English, I said, I'm not going nowhere, honey. I'm going to the... <laughs> I, I spoke like Mahalia Jackson. It wasn't even a black and white thing. It was, a, I was here as this American, uh, African-American Jew in Israel, and here I'm caught in possible conflict between... Um, uh, Palestinians who lived in the Shtachim and who had stolen the car. Um, and that happens a lot in, all over the world. It's just that you have to be, you have to look, you have to listen and make sure you are where you are and know what's going on. Um, music-wise, I'm trying to break down this so that in 10 or 20 years, we won't even hear Sammy Davis Jr.'s jokes anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. It will be understood that Judaism is a culture. It's a people. It's a tribe but it's not a race. Okay. Um, Joshua, I'm so happy that you're speaking with us on Shtetl today, and I want to uh, ask you a couple more questions. Will you stick around? I just have to take a quick commercial break, and and, and uh, we can come back and talk for just a little bit more? Yes, ma'am. Okay, perfect. Okay, okay. so we'll be back on Shtetl with Joshua Nelson. All right. Er hat sich die Städtel auf den Shortwave auf CKUT 90.3 FM in Montreal. It is 
freezing right now and lots of snow coming down, lots of wind ripping around the corner, but we're broadcasting live from the streets as housing continues to be a privilege here in Canada. Tune in to the 11th Annual Homelessness Marathon, a live 14-hour national radio broadcast about housing issues and homelessness. Because everyone should have access to safe housing and mass media. This year, 11 stations around the country will be hosting portions of the marathon live from the streets. The Homelessness Marathon will be broadcast on over 30 campus community stations across the country. Tune in to your local station from sundown to sunup on February 20th to the 21st, or go to ckut.ca slash homeless or mediacoop.ca to listen online. We're back on Stadel on the Shortwave with Joshua Nelson, the Prince of Kosher Gospel, who will be here in Montreal next week, Saturday night at Dorsche Emmet Synagogue. Get your tickets. It's going to be an amazing show. Joshua, I wanted to ask you about, um, I've been listening to so much Mahalia Jackson this week, so thank you for that, because oh, okay. <laughs> it really gets to, to the depths of your soul when you listen to her. She's amazing. Um, but I wanted to ask you, and I'm sure this is a question that you get a lot, how do people respond, or how do you feel singing music that is traditionally known as Christian spiritual music and combining that with Jewish prayer? Is that ever an issue or a conflict for you or for some of your audience? Right. On the, on the surface, it looks like it might be a conflict and I would say out of a hundred percent maybe there's five percent who question the even the use of the word gospel and we use that uh, primarily because if we say kosher blues I mean that's really easy Um, or we say kosher soul I mean soul doesn't have to be kosher it's already kosher Um, and we say kosher gospel it catches your eye because number one that is a uh, something that you think about this issue with the gospel sound or its connection uh, with Christianity. Um, but when you research, when you research it, I found out that the music called gospel music is really not Christian. Um, it's it's a, a merger of ethnic sounds from West Africa because you know they aren't Christian uh, prior to them coming to America, and this new learned religion being combined. So what I just did is take the ethnic sounds of a music that came through slavery, and I added it to our liturgical music, which makes it kosher. And we kept the gospel thing because it, it's catchy, but uh, it's, that's why we put kosher there. So if you see kosher gospel music, it's like, okay, this is the gospel music style, but it's totally Jewish. <laughs> Do you think so that... It, Yep. And no one, we, I, I thought I might have more opposition to it um, when I started, but uh, it's overwhelmingly been very well accepted, been very accepted. And in the synagogue where, where you lead the music in New Jersey, I think it's a Reformed temple, are, are the people that are in your choir, are they, um, are they all Jewish? Um, it's a mixture. Sometimes we have all Jewish uh, people, you know, because there, there are black, actual black synagogues in, um, in America, like in New York and Queens. One of them is called Beth, Elo, Beth Elohim on Willoughby. That's a black synagogue. Uh, I visit a black synagogue in Chicago, Rabbi Fune Capers. He's actually related to Michelle Obama. Hmm. Um, and they were at the inauguration when he was elected. And uh, I, I visited his synagogue. So, I mean, they're actually black Jews you know, and black synagogues, most people are not aware of. 
they they have no idea. But I'm trying to bring that awareness out with the music. Okay. You know, and the story that goes along with it. Um, so, I mean, there's some rabbis who have actually said to me, thank Baruch Hashem that you actually did this. Uh, Torah commands us to do this in a way. It's called Shiru L'Adonai Shir Chadash, and it means sing unto God a new song. Um, and that's not necessarily changing the lyrics, or it's just changing the musical style. Mm-hmm. Because um, over time, you know, over time, uh, people, um, the new generations need a new uh, style sometime or a new fashion. You know, what's done for one generation, it can be passed to the next. But sometimes you have to sing a new song unto Hashem in order to, to let it. Uh, be seen in a new light. Same message, but just a new uh, way of doing it. Okay, I wanted to ask you, because you you mentioned before Sammy Davis Jr. and the jokes, and because Sammy Davis Jr. was a convert to Judaism, and you are not a convert to Judaism, you grew up in a Jewish family, um, an observant family, and I was wondering if you'd be open to sharing with us a little bit about your family's history, like... um, do you know about when your ancestors first came to America, or uh, do you know about that history? Right, I do. Um, and, and, you know, believe it or not, I'm actually a very Ashkenazi. Although I'm, my skin is, is colored, my mother uh, and my, my, my mother was adopted by an African-American woman, and her a real mother is, is Ashkenazi Jewish. Um, and the descent comes through Romania. There were course there were many jews in romania so my decent although i'm an african-american jew that sings like mahalia jackson i just i'm just a comfortable eating gefilte fish and borscht and <laughs> you know as anyone else although it comes along with uh, my mother's fried kosher fried chicken and kosher collard greens we had a very very uh, unique passover seder um and it's it's just the way, it, a lot of Jewish homes are, are this way. It's just that some people are not comfortable about it, or they feel the need to deny one aspect of their being when you don't have to be. Um, I'm very comfortable being African-American as well as Jewish. But uh, people ask me, how do I think, you know, when, when I'm in life? I say, you know, that's a very difficult question. Um, you know how they say there's... 10 Jews and 20 opinions, right. well, you add that to an African-American guy, <laughs> and you got a lot to handle. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> so it's, um, it's a very, um, my family, uh, on my grandmother's side, uh, they have a, a history that goes back to Senegal, and those Senegalese Jews are mm-hmm. still there, and what, there are lots of African Jews in Africa, and we try to expose people to the many communities who have not made Aliyah. Because if, if you haven't made Aliyah, the only black Jews I know that made Aliyah were the Ethiopians. But there are all other tribes, the Abadiah Jews in uh, Uganda, and uh, there, there, there are several other tribes who are still practicing Judaism in Africa. So your family, part of your family, is from Senegal? Right. My grandmother primarily adopted my mother because she was a little Jewish girl from with a Jewish mother and um she took she took care of us and we were raised my grandfather on the other hand was was not Jewish um but uh we didn't know that in the home until much later i mean everything ran as a Jewish uh 
network with much understanding for relatives who may not have been Jewish. Okay. And you mentioned that you would have a really uh, special or fun uh, or unique Passover Seder. Can you tell oh, us a little yeah. bit more about that? Well, like when we, you know, we do, if you see many church programs or you see people hand clapping and stomping their feet, um, we did sort of very similar to that, except it was Jewish. We would sing or we would do uh, with our hand clapping. My mother would play the tambourine, and we would have a ball. <laughs> and there were people who would say, wow, I want to come to your Passover see You guys don't fall asleep in the food. <laughs> no. <laughs> we just, um, you know, Judaism is about life. It's about happiness and joy. Um, and there are those who would you know, try to concentrate on the, on the bad elements of life. But Judaism has always looked for that new day. Uh, I think a, a passage in Torah says, um, weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Mm-hmm. And so that's what we're doing. We're in the morning uh, with our Judaism, and we love it. We're very proud. Uh, my mother was very smart uh, at times where, where Jews were being attacked. She had a special yarmulke on me that... that you couldn't tell if it was Jewish or Muslim. She mm-hmm. said, wear this, and this will keep people from hurting. And and at the same time, you can still maintain being your, you know, being Jewish. So we were very wise, and sometimes we didn't beat the idea that there were some people who didn't know that there were black Jews. We didn't fight it. I mean, you can't fight ignorance. You just go walk by it, you know. We're, you know, when, when you're black and Jewish, it gives you a huge... Um, awareness of your surroundings and, and about life. Um, and acceptance is not something that becomes reality. You know, some people don't feel accepted because the reality is that people don't accept them. But with our family, I mean, we've always lived as Jews. It really, we, we, didn't, we didn't need any validation from anybody. So hmm. that led to bigger involvement within the Jewish community, with wow. the music and and I taught Hebrew school for 16 years. Hmm. So uh, part of my, uh, I guess, my task was to keep these young people from falling asleep and to learn all their prayers for their bar apartment. Hmm. Uh, I would learn Hebrew if you would teach me. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like it would be fun. Um, I wanted to ask you one more question, and I don't want to keep you too long, but... Uh, okay. What, why is music such an important part of your spiritual journey? Uh, music, I heard a, a Mahalia Jackson record when I was eight years old. Prior to that, I didn't really have any interest in music. And I heard this sound, and it sounded so soothing. Um, and music to some is like a bomb. It, it uh, Not the B-O-M-B, but B-A-L-M. It's like a bomb, a soothing mm-hmm. element. And I found that sometimes when you've done all that you can possibly do and you've negotiated as much as you can, the element of a song will bring things to light without an explanation. Music has that ability. It's like when you go to Europe and we sing in audiences that have no idea what we're singing about, but they can feel that neshama in Hebrew, uh, that spirit. They can feel the spirit. They feel the neshama, the emotion. A guy said to me, he says, when you sing, you give me goose pimples. I said, there are, those aren't goose pimples. That's your soul speaking to you. You just don't know it's there. Hmm. Nice. 
Joshua, I want to ask you one more thing. I'm going to play a song of yours called Micha Mocha, which is yeah. really beautiful. And I was wondering if you, you could explain to us and to the listeners what Micha Mocha is. Micha Mocha means who is like you. It's sort of asking a question. The name Michael comes from that same uh, root, Michael, which means who is like God, and it's asking a question. And that song is uh, uh, the song that Moses and Aaron and, and Miriam sang while they were going through the Red Sea. So it's a song about deliverance. It's a song about greatness of God. And it's just imagine these people going through the Red Sea and looking up at the sky and saying, wow, who is like you? So um, it's, it's a very heartfelt song because when we talk about slavery, me being African-American, I can identify with, I understand slavery from that perspective. But also religiously, I understand the Avadim, the slaves in Egypt. And that song is one of our hit songs. And uh, maybe it's because we all really feel it. And some background singers who aren't Jewish or the ones who are, when they get together, regardless of what religion, freedom is felt by all humanity when it is experienced. Hmm. Joshua Nelson, thank you so much for coming on to Shtetl on the Shortwave and for coming to Montreal next week. I know people are going to be so excited to see you at uh, Dorsey. Oh, thank that. you. I'm looking forward to it. Great. Take care. All right. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye-bye. So that was Joshua Nelson. And uh, you don't want to miss this synagogue performance next week. I'm telling you, it's Dorshe Emmet. And every year they bring in a concert for what is called Shabbat Shira, the musical Shabbat. And uh, they've had some amazing performers come in. And I think Joshua Nelson is going to definitely take the cake. So don't miss it. This is Micha Mora, and we will be back on Shtetl on the Shortwave.
All right, that is one way to wake up on this friggin' freezing Friday in January. And uh, we're going to be taking a little bit of a a different... um, a look at a different era in Jewish music now. Um, we're going to go back in time uh, to an era when what is called Chazanut, which uh, Joshua Nelson mentioned earlier, was very popular and particularly here in Montreal between the 1920s and the 1960s. And uh, this particular Jewish spiritual singing was something that, that people really were very connected to and very excited about. And a very bright young map maker named Zev Moses is going to be our tour guide. Uh, Zev created the Interactive Museum of Jewish Montreal, and it's a virtual museum that literally maps the diversity of our city and and our history from radical labor leaders to Hasidic rabbis to business leaders and community organizers. So basically, you can go to imjm.ca on the internet and there's a map with tons of orange dots and you can click on each one of them to learn about a person or spot in the city through images and texts and it's a really fun way to find out about all these forgotten spots and interesting spots and really unexpected uh, places and people from, from Montreal's very diverse past. And before we talk about cantorial music... I asked Zev if there was one exhibit in the museum that particularly stood out, and I wasn't expecting this, but he told me a very strange story, and it's about a man named Maurice Tugun-Cohen. Maurice Tugun-Cohen, he started in London's East End um, as kind of a, as a petty thief and all sorts of other you know, minor criminal activities. His parents sent him out to the west, uh, Western Canada. He lived in Saskatchewan and other places. Um, he became friends with uh, the the Chinese community in in Canada. And this is back in the 19 teens, probably, maybe even before. And eventually. Sun Yat-sen, who became the president of China, was on tour uh, around across Canada at one point. And somehow he, this, this guy was a, he was a criminal, basically, but he, he became friends with the Chinese community and um, like kind of got involved in their, their protection and stuff like that. And he, he was recruited as a bodyguard for, for this, the president of, uh, of China and actually he rose up in the ranks and was a general in the Chinese army um, well into into World War II when he was captured by the, the Japanese and put into a, like a POW camp um, and eventually during the middle of the war the British army got him in an exchange for other soldiers and he came to Montreal in the 40s during, during World War II and he's named Two Gun Cohen because he carried two guns. But yeah, he could like have them in both holsters and then shoot at you from either side. Who knows? It's like he's a character. But yeah, he lived in Montreal in the 40s and 50s and like stayed involved in like international intrigue in, in China. And uh, and, you know, he was he was kind of. When he arrived, he was feted by the Jewish community a little, a little bit. There was kind of a, it was a big deal that he arrived, um, and and the Canadian Jewish Congress, uh, they were putting out during World War II, they were putting out uh, cartoon books to like get kids, you know, excited about the war and stuff like that, and into Jewish heroes. And one of the books is is about him. Uh, 
So Maurice Tugan Cohen, who would have thought right here in Montreal. Um, in addition, uh, now to all these exhibits on the site, the museum is starting to create walking tours of the city, and their very first one is about the history of the singers or cantors, who are hot commodities in the world of Jewish performance. And uh, we're going to take a listen to one right now. The Torahs are replaced in the Ark one by one. As this sacred ceremony is concluded, the Ark is closed and the catter is ready to begin the evening prayer. That's cantor Moisha Oisher singing from a prayer service called Ma'ariv. Uh, a cantor or chazan is a singer who knows, performs, and leads Jewish prayers in the synagogue. And Moisha Oisher was, uh, has a history in Montreal, which we'll hear about in a moment. But first, um, I asked Zev to give us some context about this particular music scene that was so popular in our city. It's almost like each synagogue was like a different club. In, in the plateau and each one had its style like it, some people might want to go out to like an R&B place some people want to go to <laughs> hip hop some people I don't know is it like that? It, it is actually so like so there's the two biggie synagogues at least in the 1940s through 60s are the Beth David on Saint-Joseph, um, and that was called the Romanish Ashul, and there were Romanian Jews that founded that synagogue. And then there was the B'nai Jacob, or the B'nai Yankov on, on, uh, on Fairmount. That's now the Collège Français. And they, that was the Russian Shul, and they, had, they both had a different style. And, I, you know, we've heard that the Romanian synagogue, the, B'nai, the Beth David, was considered a little more exotic. I don't know what was exotic about it. I'm not an expert on that. Um, the B'nai Jacob was really, it was considered the Carnegie Hall of Montreal synagogues. People went there for big concerts. The best chazanim cantors in the world would show up or would actually kind of, they would be in-house, they would be kind of in residence for for certain weeks of the year. And really the, the best in the world came and like lived here. So it was a pretty exciting time for music. And um, in this next clip, uh, Zev, the creator of the Interactive Museum of Jewish Montreal, speculates about the nature of Jewish music. Cantorial music comes from so many different sources. And wherever Jews go, they absorb, they get whatever influences they have. So maybe we're going to absorb, you know, gospel music and put it into cantorial music and then people today might say well that's you know that's it's heresy it shouldn't be in there but a hundred years from now there'll be some Hasidic you know cantor in like Jerusalem somewhere and he'll be singing a tune that like came from like the south do you have a favorite cantor 
favorite cantor that's a funny question to ask because like when you listen to it people are very opinionated oh my favorite's this there's there's a, a couple biggies like the golden age of chazanut um like cantorial music its golden age was between world war one and two and the the best known cantor is named yosela rosenblatt He's great. He, he's like, I can't speak very much about music, but his his range is insane. It's like totally insane. Um, also, some people love Kusevitsky, um, Moshe Kusevitsky. He was he was a little bit later. Um, all of these guys were in New York, and he could sing so high. It's like it's just crazy. I and some people love him. I don't like him as much. I think he's a little bit schmaltzy. <laughs> I think probably Rosenblatt, but the truth is I haven't listened to quite enough to say, oh, this is my favorite. What about in Montreal, though? The Montreal Cantors. Montreal Cantors. Um, well, right now there's an amazing cantor. The cantor at the Charchemayim really is wonderful, Gideon Zellermeyer. Um, he's, he's one of the top cantors in the world um, and puts out amazing recordings, like really beautiful um beautiful stuff so Gideon Zellermeyer Gideon Zellermeyer yeah and he sings like every Shabbat at uh, the Shar Shemayim? just about yeah um, you can catch him for free on Saturdays there <laughs> but yeah him and his choir they've really they've perfected a sound that's very unique to the Shar Shemayim, and you probably can't hear something like that in probably only a few other places in the world
Wow, I could have played that whole that whole track from Gideon Zellermeyer, who performs at the Sharshamayim here in Montreal. Um, but uh, we got to keep moving on. So if you want to see him, you got to go to synagogue. Uh, anyways, I asked Zev what he uh, what he thought was the future of Cantoral music, and this is what he had to say. By the 1960s and 70s, it was really diluted. Less and less people were interested in it across North America. It was basically dead in most parts of Europe because there weren't as many Jews living in in Europe at that time. Um, so Montreal kind of held on to this tradition well beyond the 60s, almost to 2000, I would say. Um, it's really only been in the last decade when the Jewish community, the demographics of the community have changed and some synagogues just don't have enough membership to afford um, to pay a cantor full-time. Or to, Aside from that, there just there aren't as many cantors that are being trained around the world and, and including in Montreal. Um, in this old traditional style. In this style. old traditional style, yeah. On the flip side of it, ar- across North America, this old style was kind of, it was replaced with a more folk music-y style, Debbie Friedman in more liberal synagogues, um, and then Shlomo Karlbach uh, in more orthodox, but now kind of across the board. Um, those traditions kind of took hold in the 70s, 80s, 90s, but like they're just kind of arriving in Montreal in certain synagogues now. Um, and so we don't even have something to replace it here with. Can we come up with our own style? Why do we have to do Debbie? Not that I have nothing sure. against Debbie Friedman or Carla Bach, but yeah. like maybe we're at a place where we need to bridge the gap in a different way, where maybe our struggle is going to be our point of strength. I, I think there's there's a point to it. Listen, like so-called who we, some of his music comes from remixing old cantorial music. He he posted something on Facebook in December around Hanukkah, and it was a remix he had done in like a hotel room on Hanukkah like five years ago of Moisha Oisher. Uh, Moisha Oisher is was a cantor in like the 20s and 30s. He was a he was a superstar cantor, and he actually had Montreal roots. He performed in Yiddish theater here in the 20s before he became a famous cantor. But yeah, so maybe there's something in remixing the old with the new and stuff like that. But yeah, there is still enough of a population that has, that is the remaining population that's holding on to this knowledge. And we've got to, we've got to get that knowledge and, and preserve it and hopefully pass it on a little bit. But don't the Hasidic and ultra-Orthodox communities all have this knowledge? It's different. Uh, well, a lot of Hasidic communities, from the best of my knowledge, have their own tunes. And cantorial music, I think, was kind of like poo-pooed by the, by the Hasidic community as kind of like, kind of narishkeit. It was a waste of time. Um, but some young Hasidic Jews today are really into cantorial music. 
uh, and they're kind of like holding the market together uh, in Israel, especially. But it's it's like they've discovered it, and this is a big thing. And I know like there's a kidtorial music show here on Radio Shalom. Uh, and it's supposedly pirated by a Hasidic station in Israel. Um, so, like, they listen to, like, recordings of old Montreal cantors from 50 years ago in Israel on a pirate radio station. I think it's hilarious. So that was Zev Moses of the Interactive Museum of Jewish Montreal, imjm.ca. And you can go there to take this virtual walking tour, uh, which is going to be available for, uh, I think, for your iPhone and for smartphones in in February, but now is on the site. And you can see pictures of these people, of the cantors and of the old synagogues and and where they are today. So uh, go check that out. And I thought it would be fun to play a little bit of uh, so-called mix of uh, Moisha Oisher. Let's see if I can get us a little bit here. One sec. Yeah, this is Moisha Oyster mixed in so-called style. Take a listen. anybody was missing Hanukkah that's a <laughs> that's a dreidel song and um, that was a mix that Sokal did with uh, Cantor Moisha Oisher and um that brings us to the end of Shtetl on the shortwave today where I really learned a lot uh, about cantorial music and about uh, Jewish spirituality and all its different forms it was such a pleasure to speak with Joshua Nelson, and um, and I, I think that it's going to be an amazing show, so I think people should get out there and, and go check this out, because it's um, it's pretty special that he's coming to Montreal and that the synagogue has brought him. Um, I think that's pretty much it. We're going to be back in two weeks with another show, and I think there's going to be a little bit of a focus on Yemenite Jewish culture. So if that's an interest of yours and you want to check out some Yemenite Jewish music, tune in in two weeks to Shtetl on the Shortwave. And I'm going to give the last word to the woman who inspired kosher gospel. This is Mahalia Jackson. Give me strength.
Just give me strength to climb. 